Hey, everybody. Bill Shirk, the man about the woods for the Minnesota Historical Society. You know, you need to come visit Historic Fort Snelling. It's Minnesota's first national historic landmark, and it just reopened. May 28th, after two years of restoration. This is the place where waters, people, and ideas have come together for thousands of years. People are able to hear many stories told by many voices and learn more about how lives and history intersect. Whether revisiting your favorite parts of history or learning something new, it's waiting for you at Historic Fort Snelling. Hey, you can learn more at M nhs.org slash Fort Snelling. We'll see you there. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. I'm Laura Sherry, your host for today, and I am in studio at the production company with a lovely lady by the name of Jamie Rockney. Jamie, welcome to the Minnesota Bound Podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, Jamie, you're nickname, not your nickname, but the, your pseudonym name or whatever is Chick of the Woods. And I met Jamie, um, you and I met when we were out foraging for morel mushrooms with Mike Kempenick and he's been on the Minnesota Bound podcast before. He's known as the gentleman forager. And I wanted to chat with you, Jamie, on the podcast today because you had such an interesting story. And this is a recent story on why, um, you decided to follow your passion in life, which is basically all about mushrooms. And um, you recently decided to become a mushroom forager full-time. I did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, and you left a corporate job mm -hmm. to do mushroom foraging full-time. Now, I kind of want to go back in time a little bit and chat with me about, like, where did this passion for mushrooms come from? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well... It actually didn't start out that great with mushrooms. I had a couple bad experiences uh, when I was four years old. I was told, I don't remember this exactly, but my mom told me um, that I went out foraging in the backyard and took my brother and we ate all the mushrooms in the backyard. And oh my goodness. <laughs> um, that ended up were you poorly. sick? Well, my mom made us sick. She gave us some syrup of epicac and oh, it, it did its job. <laughs> brutal. That's like what you saw in the movies in the 80s. Well, somebody had to drink castor oil. What movie was that? Was that um, Stand By Me or something? It was Stand By Me. Yes. Yep. And this is Brandon joining us. He's our producer of the podcast. I love having Brandon join in the podcast. Um, was it that experience where you like drank the oil and like five minutes later you were over a toilet? Exactly. Well, oh. so what happened... Like I said, as the story is told by my mother, <laughs> she gave us the dose of the syrup of apicac, I think is what it's called, and it didn't work. So she was freaking out. So, you know, you wait the 15, 20 minutes or however long it's supposed to take, and it didn't work. So then she gave us another dose. Oh, well, my <laughs> they both ended up working. Oh, <laughs> so, my goodness. We had one episode and then another 20 minutes later, oh. there's another. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. my goodness. Well, that'll be a good lesson not to pick and eat <laughs> things in the backyard. Right. Yeah. I mean, who even has that? What is it called? Syrup of what? Epicac, I think. Like, does anybody even have that in their kitchen cabinets or bathroom cabinet anymore? I mean. I think it was something back in the 80s had that my parents had to have in the 80s and oh 90s. Yeah. Remember, there, she was probably looking at the Mr. Yuck sticker that was the, <laughs> the poison control number. I don't think we even have that anymore either. But, well, I'm right. thankful that you're okay. And this, <laughs> yeah. is, this is you and your brother? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you obviously had some sort of desire to um, kind of forage and feast on wild things at a very young age. Right. Yeah. And then did you... I was a good eater. Yes, apparently. Um, did you continue to... Uh, follow the foraging path even through high school or did you decide to just get into it later in life? How did it pop up for you? So, yeah, it's funny. Like, um, yeah, after that episode, it kind of got put on hold for 20 years. Like I, I, I don't honestly even remember seeing a mushroom in my life, you know, up until about 20 years later um, when a friend of mine took me out mushroom hunting and it was morel season and we went hiking for hours and we were up and down the hills and through the brush and you know didn't find anything didn't find anything and then we caught got to this spot and he's like well do you see anything <laughs> I'm like nope <laughs> looking and looking and looking and and I didn't see anything and there you know then he pointed out well look there and there and it's it's morel's mu morel mushrooms of course and and then they kind of start popping out 
you know, as you see the first one, you see more, but I'm like, well, this is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I would never find these things. So I just, just, I just thought it was kind of ridiculous that people would go looking for something that's so hard to find. True. So, um, so then again, yeah, second, not so positive experience, but then he, he introduced me to the hen of the woods later in that fall. And that's, um, a really big mushroom that's really easy to see. So is that also known as a pheasant back, or is that different? No, that's totally different. Oh, okay, yeah, I don't even know what a hen of the woods looks like, but yeah, there's hen of the woods and chicken of the woods, hence the name oh, chick of the woods. Okay, <laughs> love it. Um, so hen of the woods is a big mushroom that can be. I mean, I found them 15 pounds. I know they can grow much bigger than that. I think maybe 40 pounds, but um, so it goes right at the base of an oak tree. So and it it gets its name hen of the woods because the the mushroom has like these um, petals that almost look like feathers on the back of a chicken, like if a chicken was all like ruffled up. Sure. So, it, you know, if you use your imagination, you can see a, yep. <laughs> a hen in the woods all ruffled up. So those grow right at the base of an oak tree. So he's like, well, let's go check, you know, see if we can find some hen of the woods. And we walked out. And like the first or second tree, there was this giant mushroom at the base of the tree. I'm like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> this is something I could see. And so then, um, yeah, I just, I thought that was super cool. And did you enjoy eating mushrooms at the time? So were you cooking these mushrooms up? And is that where you were really hooked when you just, I mean, of course, morel mushrooms taste amazing. And yeah. that's probably part of, I mean, A, why people are willing to search long and hard for moral mushrooms because they taste so good, but also because they're so rare. I think it's almost like finding the leprechaun mm -hmm. and people kind of have this adrenaline rush of finding moral mushrooms. They're bragging to their friends about how many right. they found. And I think that's part of the culture of the morel mushroom. But the yeah. other mushrooms, were you, are you just a mushroom fanatic as far as like cooking and eating mushrooms? Um, well, I wasn't at the time, sure. I, you know, but then when I tasted this mushroom, this hen of the woods, like. I don't want anybody to know, but it's like almost as good, if not better. I don't know. It's it's right there with the morel mushroom. Is like, it really? It is that good. And you can find so much of it at one point. And, you, you know, of course, you'll, you'll have to preserve some because you can't possibly eat that much. But um, so, yeah, as I learned about it, it just kept building and building. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. You know, that's of course, a lot of it is the thrill of the hunt too. You know, you'd never know if you're going to find anything. And yeah, there's, there, I mean, there's so many reasons why I love, For <laughs> love sure. mushroom hunting. <laughs> the food and the eating is just like a small part of the it. A small part of it. So, yeah. and you eventually decided that you were going to leave your full-time job to do this full-time. So mm -hmm. how did that opportunity come about? So, um, I... I had been foraging for 13 years or so, and most of the time I was doing this by myself because mushroom hunters are kind of loners. <laughs> we don't like to share our spots. <laughs> yes, uh, people are very secretive about their, yeah. their mushroom finding spots, yes. But then, uh, then I started taking friends out. You know, there are some people that would ask about coming out. I'm like, well, you can come anytime. And, you know, most of the time, you know, people are busy. They just don't do it. But then I had... Um, this one friend of mine that, you know, he, he came out with me and we were just, he was, we were just having such a great time or he, you know, he was so excited. Like when I would, I would show him something and he's like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I'm like, well, you didn't know about that. Oh yeah. You know, it just, uh, you know, it was not just mushrooms. There was wild grapes and plums and a few other things that we found besides the mushrooms and, and he's like, gosh, Jamie, you should, you could like pay or get paid to do this. I'm like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> like that would be so awesome. But like nobody would ever do that. Um, and then a little bit after that, I had a, a girl that was actually buying some morel mushrooms from me. And she's like, would you ever like take me out mushroom hunting if I paid you? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to do that. And um, so I, I took her out, just her. And um, when I saw her get so excited about the mushrooms that we found, it was just like this amazing feeling. Like it was more fun watching her get excited about the mushrooms than me finding them myself. And she, I mean, she was already 
obsessed about mushrooms. She has a, a tattoo of an Amanita mushroom on her wrist, I but she it. didn't. But she didn't mushroom hunt. She just liked them. So, um, so that was kind of the beginning of it, and she kind of inspired me to actually advertise that I was going to be doing guided mushroom hunts. So, so I did that, you know, through Facebook and stuff, and I had started doing that. And in that process, I, you know, came up with the name Chick of the Woods and started a Facebook page just so I could geek out about my mushrooms because I felt bad. I kept putting mushroom, you know, pictures on my my personal page, I'm like, oh gosh, you know, my friends are so annoyed of me. <laughs> so I'm like, like I'm here comes another this. shroom in the <laughs> yeah. feed. Yeah. So I created my own page just so I could put all my pictures there and stuff. So anyway, I had just kind of started dabbling with that. And I went to this event called Morals and Memories, which is um, a fundraiser for Alzheimer's put on by a family in Watertown. And they were looking for guides. And I had seen that Mike Kempenick with Gentleman Forager was also a guide there. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, I could be a guide. You know, I could do that. And so when I went, I, of course, introduced myself. He's kind of, he's kind of a big deal. In the mushroom world. <laughs> he is. Absolutely. He is. Mike is definitely a, a mushroom celebrity yes. for sure. So, yeah, I was a little bit nervous coming up to talk to him. But I introduced myself and... Um, I was wearing, I had made a, a Chick of the Woods shirt. And so he saw that and he's like, Chick of the Woods, hey, I might have to steal that. And I'm like, well, yeah. actually, actually <laughs> yeah, you can't. No, you're like, that belongs to me. Yeah, so then um, we started talking and he found out that I was kind of doing the same thing as him. And, you know, we got along great. And, and then afterwards he's like, well, we should, you know, we should talk, you know, let's, let's meet up and talk if maybe we could partner on some things and... So we met and talked and just kind of realized we're definitely like in the same place as far as our mushroom obsession, I guess. And uh, so he had kind of started planting the seed in, in my head that, you know, maybe we could work together and potentially be business partners. And one of the things that he liked about me is not only my passion for mushrooms, but just the simple fact that I don't have kids um, and, I, and I'm not married. So like, I, I don't have a lot of commitments and things that are like tying me home. So uh, with, with him, you know, he travels a lot, you know, yes. traveling up north to pick mushrooms or whatever it might be. So like, that was kind of a, a neat aspect to him, just thinking this could possibly work. So he had just kept talking about that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to answer your question eventually here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's a great story. So, yeah, then it was just this last spring, and, and I had a wonderful job. I really did. I worked with government. I had great benefits. It was just wonderful. Great coworkers. I was doing water conservation, so things to improve lakes and streams. Like, really great. But I had started getting into a different role where I was in the office all the time and I didn't get to get out on the lakes or by the streams anymore. So I was just getting a little bit, you know, like kind of frustrated when I wanted to be outside. Like I just love being outside. So <laughs> um, springtime came around and morels were kind of in the forecast. And I started thinking about the fact that I really don't want to be locked inside when the morels are out and, and I knew it was ramping up to be a good season. So, um, the mushrooms were calling. Yeah. And Mike had kind of said like, well, if you're, if you're ready to take the leap, you know, I'd love to have you. And so the timing just kind of worked out and yeah, and here you are. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> yes. Hewitt docks, lifts and pontoon legs began in a small South central Minnesota town with a mission to make dock install and removal easier by inventing the Rolodoc. Well, now the company has evolved to provide everything you might need to improve your lake time. In addition to the classic Rolodoc or the new Ultra Dock system, Hewitt offers all-terrain staircases, gangways, canopies, and lifts, along with any accessory you might need. Celebrate 50 years of business with us. Go to HewittRad.com to enter for a chance to win a free dock and monthly prizes. Hewitt Docks, lifts and pontoon legs. Work hard, play harder. You deserve a Hewitt. 
Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Hey, I'm really picky when it comes to my drinking water, and I have the reverse osmosis drinking water system from Connecticut, and I love it. It takes out contaminants in the water, it removes chlorine, and most important, it tastes great, which is the one thing I'm probably most picky on is how does my water taste. So having Connecticut also means that I use less plastic water bottles, which we all know is a definite bonus for our environment. For more information, visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you. Well, and I, I, when I was chatting with you when we were in uh, River Falls, Wisconsin, we can't give the exact location, of course, because <laughs> that would be an anti-mushroom forager thing to do. But um, we were having such a great time and you're telling me your story. And I always... Um, admire people who follow their passions and they take um, risks to do that. Of course, calculated risks. And um, because I never think you can go wrong or fail when you truly follow your heart and follow your passion mm-hmm. and you're willing to work hard because um, it still requires work, of course, but to, to make sure that it can work. But um, I just thought it was so interesting that there's not a lot of people that would decide to leave a comfortable job that they know is, you know, so secure to really follow their passion. But, um, so I wanted to have you on because, um, you know, I've not, I've not done a ton of mushroom foraging myself. It's always so fun when you do. And to me, it's still a little intimidating, but, um, to have a female voice out in the mushroom foraging world is also, um, awesome and amazing. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to have Jamie come on the Minnesota Bound podcast. I got to hear this story (laughs) and how she decided to go chase mushrooms for a living. And, um, and you're, I think you're hitting it right at the right time because there is this seems like there's a boom going on with people being very curious and interested in foraging for their own food. If that is foraging for mushrooms, for, um, you know, wild black raspberries to there's a lot of edible quote unquote weeds out there, plants that, um, people, you know, may be pulling out of their yards that they can eat. And also there's been a huge increase in, in interest in hunting and just knowing where your food comes from and, um, that it's also being a very sustainable source of food. And so you are, um, at the peak of, um, or even pre-peak of, I think where this could go for, um, you eventually too, as far as just the popularity of, of foraging for your own things. Right. And, um, and you're, you know, of course, joining with gentleman forager, Mike Kempenick, um, you just can't go wrong there, but there, what I didn't realize with mushrooms in general, you know, the morel mushroom, that's what you hear about the most here in Minnesota, but there are a lot of different mushroom species that you can forage for here. And you guys were sharing that with me when we were out that, um, the heaviest of foraging happens in the middle of the summer. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, what are some of the other species you can you can eat? Oh, there's so many. Um, I know chanterelles. The, yeah, that's one. The more popular ones that people go to for are yeah chanterelles. Like you said, those are there's probably just tiny little ones out there right now. So in July, uh, chanterelles. July August is perfect for them. There's boletes, there are chicken of the woods, hen of the woods, um, just like you can't even imagine how many different ones are out there. I, I forget about them until I see them again. For sure. I, I found some coral mushrooms. They l- literally look like coral that grows in the sea that grow on logs and uh, oyster mushrooms. They grow all year long. Um, yeah. <laughs> and what do you think the fascination is? Like, why why are people so fascinated with mushrooms? Like, I I'm so curious. No, I I, I try to think about that too. Like, why am I so obsessed with this? <laughs> <laughs> they're they're just it it seems like they're an alien. You know, some of these are just like aliens. Like, how on earth did this 
thing, like form. The colors are so brilliant. There's some that are so tiny and some that are so huge and just, you know, and, and, the, and then the taste of them too, they all taste completely different. It's, you know, like, you know, comparing an apple to an orange, really, you know, they're the same species, um, but they're not, <laughs> they're not the same. I yeah. don't know. Um, but Some of yeah. the ones that are bright color, I feel like those would scare me the most because when we were out, you showed me one that was like bright, bright neon orange. And you're like, oh, this yeah. is an example of what you do not eat. Right. Um, so, you know, I think it's safe to say that the reason you have job security as well is because you need to be very careful about what you are eating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you're going to start venturing out and um, don't do it, uh, Jamie did when she was a young girl and just go <laughs> eat everything in the backyard, um, you should take... Uh, a class. Yeah. Do you suggest yes. that? That there's. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, there aren't any like hard and fast rules. Like, like you said, like the bright orange ones, like, yeah, they look hazardous. Um, but yeah, there aren't any, any rules that you can really follow that are going to just let you go out into the woods and pick randomly and feel comfortable about it. So yeah, that's definitely like the main thing that we are doing with gentlemen foragers doing the classes. Um, different levels we have a lot of different options you know if you want to just kind of go out in the woods and wander around and you know we'll just talk about the ones that we pick and you know take home whatever you find um we also will do like in in class classrooms with a a presentation and um a powerpoint and you know kind of delve into um maybe four different mushrooms and like just kind of talk about everything there is to know about those four mushrooms and then um, at those classes, I'll I'll talk about plants too. So, we've got one coming up. Uh, I think it's July 10th, where we're gonna do a presentation talking about four different like summer mushrooms, and I'm gonna be talking about four different berries. And then we, you know, just to kind of get really into that, and then we'll we'll do actually like a cooking demo on how to how to cook wild mushrooms and feed them, and then we'll go out foraging in the woods and find you know hopefully find some of the ones that we talked about, but then also. There will be so many more that you just stumble upon while you're out there, too. So there's a lot of different ways of, of learning <laughs> how, you know, to, to mushroom hunt. And, and every, like almost every week, or for sure every month, brings different mushrooms. So every time you go out, you find something different or different locations have different mushrooms. So it's it never stops changing, and it's so interesting, which is why I think I, like, love doing this because you're just always finding new things and learning new mushrooms and are they still finding new mushroom species popping up like in the dragonfly world I was going out with some dragonfly experts and they said that they still find new species of Mm -hmm. dragonflies every single year and specifically even here in Minnesota wow how is that possible right and that dragonflies migrate like thousands of miles that's also like fascinating to me but I would think that would be the same thing with mushrooms are they still finding like new mushroom species all the time absolutely yeah, so the interesting. real nerdy scientific yeah. <laughs> fungi guys. Um, they They're such can... fun guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if I've gotten to that point where I would know that I found a new species, you know, because I, I would just be like, oh, I don't know that one yet. But yep. maybe I have found new species, but I don't know it because I just assume, well, I haven't learned that one yet. Of course. I certainly don't know all of them or, you know, or even most of them. There's so many out there that just take so hard long to identify and you know maybe they're just really small or you know you know you're not going to eat that one because there's just some little ones but um yeah so definitely yeah the classes are I don't know the hands-on is just so much better when you have an expert there that can look at it with you and you know you can touch it you can smell it a lot of them smell like have a certain smell to them like you mentioned that pheasant back if you remember yes, smelling that one I do it had the, the cucumber or something yeah either yes. people will say cucumber or watermelon rind so like yes. if you are out there you smell it you get it you know like that sticks with you and you can then go out again on your own and be like oh yeah I remember this rather than I don't know when you read things it's I think it's a little bit harder to remember and, and you just want that like confidence of somebody saying yes that's absolutely edible <laughs> and absolutely and then also there's this whole um timeline on when they're best to eat because when we were out foraging some of the even the morels that we were finding were probably on the older side and you said of course you can reconstitute them underwater or something where they bring them back to life but they probably wouldn't taste as good mm-hmm. and then they're um 
same with the pheasant back. You thought the one that we found was probably just a little too old to be right. eating. Um, you could eat it. It's not going to taste the best. You know, what are some of the, you know, I guess tips. How do you know, like, when the mushroom is, like, perfect eating at the age that it should be eaten? Right. Well, yeah. I, Does it I, depend it's different by species? Yeah, for, for sure. You know, depends on the mushroom. If there's a bunch of worms in there, <laughs> that's yeah, always that's a, a whole good other sign. conversation. <laughs> there was a worm on one that we found, and <laughs> you know, I brought a little satchel home, which was so fun. I did um, eat those; they're so good. But when I was cleaning them, you know, I have been pheasant hunting and deer hunting, whatever, and I was probably more uh, got a little queasy at the the worm in the mushroom than I did in <laughs> <laughs> anything else I've done in out in the outdoors and. I was like, how do you actually get these clean? How do you get all the little beetles off? Because there is that whole process. I was just soaking in water. I don't know if I even did it right. I was probably should have asked. But then my mom's like, I think you use salt water. What? What do you? How do you get these mushrooms clean? Yeah. Well, morels. Yeah, those are kind of hard because they have all those little divots, divots. all over. And yeah. then if it rains, it'll splash up onto the mushroom. Um, and then if it grows after it gets splashed on, sometimes you just can't eat them because the dirt will the mushroom will actually kind of grow around the dirt. So sometimes oh. at some point you definitely are just like, this is not worth it. Yeah. But, um, I typically don't soak my mushrooms. I, um, like with the morels, I, I'll take the kitchen sink sprayer just to kind of get the grid off that way. Okay. Um, if your mushroom has that many worms in it that you have to soak it in water, salt water to have them float out, you know, like probably not maybe, a good idea. Maybe you just want to pass, but some people do do that. We just typically don't recommend soaking them in water for too long. And you are going to oh, be okay. cooking them. So yeah. like if there's any sort of, you know, it's a little extra protein in there, yeah. it's a little worm or something. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You do definitely get used to seeing those worms. And some of them are just like almost impossible to find without worms, like oysters and chanterelles around here, especially the chanterelles get really wormy. So you just have to be out there right away and, and get them. Or you just, you know, like if there's a few, just like, all right, yeah, I'm going to cook this up. It'll yeah. be just fine. You won't, you really won't see it. Just don't but. worry about it. I mean, you keep hearing all these cricket farms going up that that's going to be our next food source at some point or yeah. be a part of it. So let's yes. just add the worms right in there. Exactly. <laughs> Hopefully those aren't going to make you need the, was it Epicac syrup? Yeah, I think so. I think that's what it's <laughs> it should be called Epiac syrup because <laughs> that is indeed what happens. So I was reading on some um, interesting mushroom facts, which mushrooms are super fascinating. And um, I'm not a mushroom scientist and I'm guessing, Jamie, you're not either yet. Um, but Someday. one thing that I was reading that's really super cool, it says fungi, mushrooms, are genetically closer to humans than they are plants. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That is wild. Yeah. And then when we were out foraging with Mike, he was saying that the mushroom um, and the tree almost communicate to each other based off of, like, if we didn't have mushrooms, we wouldn't have trees and vice versa because they eat all the dead matter. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, you know, they are an very integral part of our environment. Mm -hmm. And if they were not part of our environment, I don't know if our earth would even exist. Is it, that? It would be a whole different earth. That's for sure. But yeah, there's different mushrooms do different roles. Some of them will break down matter, but then some of them are parasitic. So they'll actually kill a tree, you know, and then some of them are symbiotic where the, the relationship, the mushroom and the plant of whatever, you know, usually a tree, but not always. Um, it actually benefits both of them that they, you know, need each other to grow. And so it's, it's amazing all the different roles that they. So play. interesting. And was it the maple tree that has some sort of antifungal properties to it? Yeah. Was it the maple tree? Yeah. That, um, if you see maple trees when you are foraging for morels or I guess any other mushroom, you might as well just keep on walking because the tree itself has, uh, antifungal properties to it where mushrooms won't even grow around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't understand how it all works. I, and But there is one mushroom that grows on a maple tree that I know of. I'm sure there are more, but uh, a northern tooth mushroom, which isn't edible. But yeah, typically, I, I don't know how it all works. But if you see a maple forest, you're just like, out of here. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> I love trees, but uh, maples are pointless in my world. <laughs> Yeah, this, you're just going to be walking around in circles forever. Mm -hmm. um, and also with, you know, for morale mushroom hunting too, some of the fun little tidbits that I was learning was that, um, you know, people are always like, oh, look for dead elm, elm trees. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, my dad and I were out turkey hunting. He's always like, let's see if we can find some morels, look for dead elm trees. And actually it's, 
it's better to look for elm trees that aren't, aren't quite dead yet. Correct. Right? There's yes. the trick, people. Don't go looking for the completely dead elms. Yes. Find the ones that are just partially dying. And <laughs> a lot of times you want to even look to the width of the top of the tree, right? Like how far out should you look from the base? Because a lot of times you just people just circle the base, or at least that's what I was mm-hmm. doing. And both you and Mike were saying, no, you got to really, you can look out, you know, five feet from the base even, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, so basically, if you were to cut the tree down and it fell, you can yes. kind of, that's kind of the... How far out they can go. Yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend looking that far out first. I would always, like in the case of morels, just kind of walk up to the tree slowly. And then if it has the morels growing around it, you'll, you'll typically find them growing close to it. But then if there's a lot, like then it'll, it'll kind of naturally just keep you keep taking you further and further away from the tree. But it would, you'd waste a lot of time if you started looking that far out at every tree, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Because you really need to look carefully. <laughs> you can yeah. step on the mushroom. Yes. It's, it's very easy. And also, um, you know, you don't realize it's, it's also tick season. So that was a whole other thing mm-hmm. that we were discovering quickly when we were out, um, that there was a lot of ticks, but also a lot of deer ticks. They were so tiny. They were really tiny. Um, and that's something to really keep in mind. Our photographer who grew up in Denver, um, he was with us and he had shorts and flip-flops on and quickly (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Troy, I think you knew we were going mushroom foraging in the woods. Um, but he quickly put on a change. Of course he had like some pants in his car and I think boots or something. So he's changed very quickly because he was discovering that that was, um, probably the worst choice but something to keep in mind when you're out there it's like you yeah. know Lyme's disease is a serious thing and it really is you want to put the tick spray on and everything yeah. else you can I would say like they're the most effective chemical or spray out there is that permethrin like it really does the trick there's kind of a lot of uh, not controversy but you know a lot of people don't like to use it because it is such a toxic chemical, chemical. yeah um but the way that you use it is you spray it on your clothes not while it's on you and then you put it on when it's dry. dry. So like, um, yeah, it's, especially if you could put it on like a pair of wind pants and then put those wind pants over your clothes, like that would be really ideal, but sometimes it's just too hot to do that. Um, and, and yeah, it can affect cats. Like I think it can actually kill cats if they like, I think maybe when it's wet, I don't know about when it's dry, but, um, yeah, I definitely, that would be one if you want to do a chemical, that's the most effective. And then otherwise just check yourself. And I always say, don't just check yourself that night, like check in the morning too, just in case they were on your clothes or yeah. whatever, they might find you in the middle of the night. They do too. <laughs> they do. Like, yeah. and you, even to check, you said underneath your hairline, you know, mm-hmm. on the back of your hairline, the back of your ears. Um, the one deer tick that you found on you was so tiny. It was tinier than like a little pin dot. Oh, yeah. So you do have to be, um, very diligent, um, on your checking, but does any of like the lemongrass oil or any of those work effectively? Do you know? I mean, yeah, I think probably wouldn't there, hurt. there definitely are some concoctions of essential oils and mixtures that you can make that, that help. It's just not yeah. as good as permethrin, but, <laughs> but yeah, that well, would definitely, have choices. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you can go the chemical route, the natural route. And of course you can do a triple check route is always a, mm-hmm. a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So I went on Google here to look up this um, fact that I saw about that mushrooms are genetically closer to humans than they are plants. And uh, here they gave a list of a couple of reasons why fungi are more like animals than they are plants. Cause they absorb nutrients from organic matter, unlike plants that produce their food through photosynthesis. Fungi have a fibrous substance called, oh, I'm going to slaughter this name. Um, chitin? Ah, chitin. Chitin? Chitin. Chitin. Thank you. <laughs> See, I knew I was going to slaughter that word. <laughs> it's a CH, by the way. So that's what got me there. Chitin. Yeah. Um, in their cell walls. What Do you know what chitin is? Yeah. Um, a little bit. Like, Just like a well, general. It's synopsis. like the the outer layer of the cell. And it's like kind of like... What I understand is like, it's like a shell on a, uh, like a <laughs> crustacean. Oh, okay. Like the shell of, Outer cell wall. Yeah. Got and it. so it's really hard. And so that's why you need to cook your mushrooms is because 
that chitin will build up in your body like over time and you can actually like get some sort of toxic toxicity effect if you just always ate raw, raw mushrooms. mushrooms yeah so when you cook it you break that chitin down and then it makes it edible so is that do you think it's a higher level of chitin in toxic mushrooms that make them toxic or is it other things do we know that answer uh, no, I don't think that's, okay. <laughs> I don't think curious. that plays a role in it. Anyway, but apparently plants do not have chitin. So that's interesting. And, um, like us, fungi need food, water, and oxygen to survive. Um, so they use, they absorb the nutrients from their surroundings and expel waste products and CO2. That's fascinating. Waste products. I wonder what they mean by that. I don't, I have no idea, but that is wild. I haven't wild. seen any. I haven't either. It's probably I've been mushroom searching. Waste. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's super cool. So it's also said fungi are the largest life forms on earth. Oh, yeah. Yes. The largest living organism on the planet is a single honey mushroom. Uh, it's located in Oregon. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Is it really? Yep. It's called Do they protect fungus this? humongous or humongous that's fungus or something awesome. like that. Awesome. Yeah. And there's a fungus among us. Um, is that, do they protect this one large mushroom? It must be like fenced or something so people don't take it's, it. It's part of a forest. Like a, I think it's like a, a national forest or a state forest where it's, cause it's all underground. Exactly. Like it's, it's all just connected oh, underground. Wow. So you really can't see it yeah. to an extent. So it's kind of cool. Here they're saying yeah. it's 3.5 miles wide and occupies an area of 2,385 acres. And it's at least 2,400 years old and could be older. <laughs> that is incredible. That is incredible. Yeah. So it holds the record for being the world's largest fungus. Yeah. That's a good point too. Like just to mention that the mushroom isn't what we, I mean, that is part of the mushroom, but the mushroom is like the fruit. So like when you talk about the mushroom, it's all underground and then like an apple tree grows an apple, like it, that's what we're eating. So when we pick the mushroom, it's like picking an apple. It doesn't really affect the the mushroom itself. You know, there's a lot of people that, ask, well, do you pluck it or do you cut it? And, you know, like we believe it doesn't matter because it's all underground and um, you can do either and it's not going to harm. But if you if you pluck it, you just want to make sure you get that dirt off because otherwise it contaminates your, your basket with all, all the grit and grime and then you really do have to spend more time cleaning it. Otherwise sure. you might not have to. So That is fascinating. So that's why it makes sense that they would be communicating with the trees because mm -hmm. if it is an underground system... Mm -hmm. Um, that they, that, yeah, so it wouldn't matter if you cut it or plucked it. And also what you guys were sharing with me when we were out in the, in the forest was that the life cycle of a morel mushroom, or I don't know if it applies to all the mushrooms, but it's usually like four to five years. So it would only produce mushrooms underneath that tree or around that tree for four to five years and then it's mm -hmm. over. Yeah. However long it takes that tree to die dead, I guess okay. you say like, yeah. So it, it typically I think is about, yeah, five years depending on the tree. So yeah, maybe the first year or two, like you'll have the biggest flush of mushrooms. And then as it gets closer to being dead, dead, then it's like, you'll just find fewer and fewer and fewer. So yeah, you, you know, like you, it's hard to say you have a honey hole because one year it'll be amazing. And then the next year that it might just only be a few of them around, but you can kind of have a honey hole if you have a forest that maybe has, you know, a bunch of elm trees. So it, there's going to always be new elm trees dying. So it's maybe not one tree is going to be your honey hole forever, but maybe a certain forest has a ton of them. So you'll want to check that forest and different trees every year. The Shira family enjoys spending a lot of time outside. Hence, we care what goes into our environment. That's why we support propane, the energy for everyone. Did you know that propane produces fewer greenhouse gas emissions than electricity generated on the U.S. grid? Propane's emissions are 43% fewer. That's a lot. Propane is clean, dependable, and affordable. Plus, it's produced right here in the USA. Let's all do our part to reduce emissions from our homes, cabins, and businesses by choosing propane, the right energy right now. To learn more about propane, the energy for everyone, go to propane.com. Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. You know, today is a day for adventure, and Cub has all the Nabisco snacks you need to make sure that adventure is delicious from start to finish. Life is just sweeter when you share Oreo cookies on the trail. Also, when you crunch 
Ritz crackers at the campsite or rock the boat with rich cheese crispers. Stop a cub on the way to your adventure. The great outdoors is calling. Be sure you bring the snacks. I um, was just on a morning TV show called um, Minnesota Live, which is a morning news broadcast, and they wanted to chit-chat about fun things to do outdoors, and I actually um, was mentioning your Palooza coming up. I did give you guys a shout-out there, and we'll get to that in a minute, but Chris Eggert, who's one of the hosts of Minnesota Live, um, was saying that he had like baskets and baskets full of morel mushrooms in his backyard. Oh, I hate him. I know. That's what I said. <laughs> I was like, do not let your neighbors know about that. And you probably better hide your address wherever it is. Cause you're going to have a line of people up next summer or next spring. Um, wanting to get after your backyard. Right. He's like, I didn't even know what to do with all of them. I was giving away to neighbors and this and this and that. And I, um, you know, after the little segment was wrapped, I told him, I said, do you understand like per pound, if you want to buy morel mushrooms per pound, they're like $50 a pound, aren't they? Yeah. Yep. It's like that's, gold. That's what we sold them for this spring. Did you really? Yep. That mm-hmm. is incredible. Well, now I know why you left your <laughs> full-time job to go become a mushroom forager. <laughs> well, and un- unfortunately, those morels are hollow. So it takes a bunch of yes, them to, you know, equal true. a pound. And there's, they're, they are really hard to find and see. And, you yeah. know, so. No, there's a lot of work there. It's yeah. like art, right? When an artist, um, you know, some people, whatever, they say, well, how long did it take you to paint that picture? And really, it's just about their talents. But that's kind of with mushroom hunting. Like, yeah. you're putting in a lot of hours. Yeah. You don't want to calculate the hourly yes. rate. <laughs> to, to get a pound of morel mushrooms. No. Um, and that's one other thing, too, that you know you have a morel mushroom. Because um, Megan, who is on the show, she said that sh- her husband was foraging for mushrooms and he had morels. And she got really sick. Oh, and sure. And so she didn't, she has not touched morels since, but... I was like, was it hollow? Because that was one of the things. And she said she thought it was, but she didn't know if it really was a morel or something else because morels won't make you sick, right? Um, it, I mean, It's like anybody can be sensitive to any food. Oh, so she like could just allergy. have, yep. And I have, I know of a lot of people that ate morels for many, many years. And then all of a sudden one time they ate them and they got sick and they could never eat them again. Like they would try because they, you know, of course, they're so good. You really want to be able to eat these mushrooms. And then every time that they try it, they get sick. So I don't understand how, honestly, how that works. But there are some people that have that. And certain mushrooms are more likely to have people have a sensitivity. Sure. So when That's we- kind of wick with anything, though. If you eat it, a lot of it, all the time. So I um, am a big protein shake connoisseur and... I was putting raspberries and almond milk in my shake for years. And I recently was, took a food sensitivity test because I've always been, you know, really particular about my nutrition and wanting to make sure I'm eating things that I'm not sensitive to. Mm-hmm. And two things that came up, which I never thought would, um, that came up really high in my food sensitivity list was raspberries and almonds because That's I funny. was consuming so much of yeah. it that you, I think your body starts to develop like antibodies and things like that. So... Um, it's always important to, of course, eat a variety of things and that's mm-hmm. why, but I could see that happening, especially with a mushroom that probably has, maybe it has some molds on it or, you sure. know, things like that where your body could be sensitive to some of that if you're eating a lot. Mm-hmm. And also to when you first try a mushroom, you know, we always recommend people just try a small amount rather than as tempting as it is to gorge yourself on morels. If you've never had them before, try it. <laughs> just, you know, have a few bites or, you know, don't eat too many, but... Yeah, um, similar story with Hen of the Woods. My mom and brother both gorged themselves on Hen of the Woods uh, one time. And it wasn't a mushroom I picked, so I'm just going to throw that out there. Somebody <laughs> else had picked it. So it could have been a bad mushroom, like, you know, maybe too old or something. But sure. they both got sick after Good. eating that mushroom. And they, again, anytime they try it again, they'll get sick. So Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah you just have to, that is smart to try a little bit at a time just to make sure that you don't have a food sensitivity. Is there a certain, like, do you have a favorite recipe that is like, oh my gosh, this is my go-to every time, you know, a favorite mushroom recipe that you, that you like? Of course, everybody morale is like, oh, you, all you do is put a little, um, dredge them in a little flour and then cook them in some butter and that's all you do. But there's got to be a <laughs> lot more recipes out there than that. <laughs> well, I'm... One of the things that's great about working with Gentleman Forager is that we work with chefs all Amazing. the time, like really, really great chefs. So I'm looking forward to learning that amazing, like kind of go-to simple recipe. I don't get real creative yet with my mushrooms. I almost always recommend people just saute them in butter and, you know, add a little salt and just have it plain like the first time that you want to taste a mushroom. So you can really 
get the flavor and enjoy it rather than, you know, mixing it in with something, you know, you might just kind of lose Cover it. the flavor. So definitely, you know, morels, of course, are just amazing anyway, but yeah, butter and salt, it sounds simple, you know, and then maybe adding, um, like Mike recommends, adding a little bit of thyme or something just to jazz yeah. it up a little bit and some shallots. So like that's so easy. Um, otherwise, you know, I yeah. made my, when I got home from our foraging day, I did cook up my, some of the morels. Um, my boyfriend Dan was in town, so he had not had a morel before. So oh. I was like, you are in for a treat. And I didn't show him any of the worms that were on the before when I brought him home. <laughs> I just cooked them. <laughs> I soaked them, then cooked them. But I used uh, one of my favorite, um, I'm a big fan of salts, like either smoked sea salt or um, and shiitake or umami sea salt mm. is my favorite. So umami sea salt is basically a sea salt that has dried shiitake mushroom in it. And um, umami, they say it's like your sixth sense or something like that. It has to do with your taste, of your taste buds. You know, you have sweet, savory, something. And I'm not doing this justice, but uh, umami sea salt is amazing on anything from steak, chicken, venison, you name it. And I use that in with a little bit of the butter, my morel mushrooms. And for instead of using plain sea salt, I use the shiitake sea salt. It was so good. So good. And I did put a tiny dash of cream in there. Um, but I just served it over, kind of make a little sauce. And then I um, just drizzled it over just a chicken breast, you know, something that I had in the fridge. And it was so delicious. Um, so that's my tip. Not that I'm a mushroom yeah. um, chef by any means, but the umami sea salt. And you can't, they have one at Trader Joe's. Not that I don't like Trader Joe's. Um, it's not the same there. Okay. I get mine from a place called um, Oaktown Spice Shop. And, it's, and I'm sure there's some other spice shops locally that have them that make it from scratch. This one is happens to be in California, and I just they do mail order, so I order it from there. But their umami sea salt, they make it small batch, and it is a game changer in my eyes. So that's my mushroom cooking tip for the day. But, Thank you. Uh, I did bring you some more morels today you did? too. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> so I you can try some more recipes. You are spoiling me. That is so sweet of you. Thank you so much. My goodness. I, I even share with my dad cause he, um, is always so kind, you know, he shared some of his wild turkey with me. So I, when I had extra morels, I did bring those to him cause he is a huge morel mushroom fan. So, um, I appreciate you sharing. That's really sweet. <laughs> so you guys, let's, I want our listeners, if they want to learn more or, um, you have some really cool events coming up too. So I just want to share those with our listeners, because if you want to really deep dive for a fun weekend of morel, not morel, mushroom foraging, cause morel season's pretty much over. You're going to do all the other really cool species. Mm -hmm. Um, it looks like you have two events coming up. You have foragers feast. Are you part of that one? Yes, you are. Your name's on here. What is that? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, so Forager Feast, we have uh, this new chef, Patrick Atanellian. Um, he is going to be preparing, I think, a five course. I'm not sure how many courses we're going to have, but between four and six courses u utilizing oh. wild foods, of course, mushrooms and other um, wild plants and even edible flowers that whatever is in season. So um, that, I think that, what is that scheduled? July 8th. Um, but we're, we're July, gonna, uh, yeah, Friday, July 8th. Yeah. We will be having a lot more of those in the future. Um, that is so cool. If you know, we at Minnesota bound have, um, we have our wild game dinners that we do in the winter time and it's like a five course, you know, wild game, um, feast per se, but to attend these really unique, um, you know, easy foraging feast or whatever. It's such a unique experience mm -hmm. and you'll be able to taste, you know, recipes and flavors that you would probably never be able to accomplish on your own just because exactly. the amount of variety of uh, mushrooms you'll be using. But when a professional chef gets their hands on either wild game or foraged food, it is a whole different level of cooking. Exactly. <laughs> so I, yeah. you, if you're listening and you, your Friday, July 8th is open, I would highly recommend that because that sounds really cool. Yeah. And unfortunately, I don't know the menu yet because we're going to wait and see what is actually in season sure. and, and utilize whatever we can. So, to, you know. That's awesome. <laughs> TBD. Well, whatever it is, it's going to be delicious. And then you also have um, Shroomapalooza. Is that, I, you, that may be sold out already, but that sounded really cool. That's happening in, is that Crosby, Minnesota? Is that where you're going? 
Um, Minnesota? Yes. I, Crosby. Yeah, that's Crosby. I believe. Something. Cross, it's no, Cross Lake. Cross, Cross Lake. Lake is yeah. where you're going. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a super fun weekend. We're not sold out yet. Um, it. I went to this last year for my first time, and it was such a unique uh, weekend. So we will be having live music every, you know, Friday and Saturday night. So there's a live band playing. We will have um, Chef Ashley Estrada from the Sample Room cooking up so every cool. single meal. She is amazing. And so it's, that's it's every single meal, not just gentlemen. hot dogs and hamburgers. <laughs> no, no, it's we're talking about mushrooms wild, and yes, food, wild foods. And like you said, like, I didn't know food could taste like this. I know when, it's totally, different. which is another great benefit of joining gentlemen forager. Like I didn't know food could taste like this. So yes. he's definitely <laughs> spoiling me. So yes, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Um, and then we go foraging on Saturday. So we'll go out as a group and just spend hours in the woods, just roaming around. We'll bring um, a, pa- a bag lunch with us so we can spend more time out there. And last year we stopped at a lake on the way back. It was a really warm day. So we went swimming in the lake and, oh, um, and yeah, just like meeting of course, you know, like-minded people, obviously, like, people that are into mushroom hunting are pretty... <laughs> unique? <laughs> pretty, yes, unique and, like, just good, yeah. good people. So it's, it was so fun. I met so many people. And, yeah, all Salt you have to do year. is pack a cooler, a beer, or whatever you like to drink. We, you know, so you can drink what you want. But other, other than that, you know, it's pretty much all taken care of. And it, you can do an RV or a tent. It's a big open field, so there's plenty of room to... Or even a hammock. There's trees you can <laughs> sleep under the stars, yeah. people. Yeah, that's July uh, weekend of July 15th in Cross Lake. And um, that is definitely a hands-on in the woods experience. It looks like it'd be a really great time. Um, again, live music, culinary chef. When you say culinary chef and camping, um, <laughs> that's when you're hooking people up. Because, you know, to, a lot of times, you know, when you're camping, you're just doing hot dogs over mm-hmm. a campfire, right? Because it's mm-hmm. just easy or, you know. Um, so to have a chef there with you, that sounds pretty special. Yeah, I don't think there's any other events out there that do this. No, <laughs> Shumapalooza. Like so, I love yeah. the name too. Um, well, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Your story um, is a fascinating one, and I love your passion for um, foraging and that you're following it. And and I know that um, you're going to be nothing but successful. So oh, thank you. I appreciate you coming by today. It was so fun. <laughs> <laughs> and one last thank you to our sponsors, Connecticut, Minnesota Propane, Starbank, Hewitt Docks, Oreo and Ritz, and Minnesota Historical Society. Last but not least, don't forget, introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm-hmm.